Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. On the program today, a crazy week around the world. The continued wars between Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Hamas. Another mass shooting here in the United States last week, claiming 18 lives up in Maine. And in Washington, D.C., a new Speaker of the House was elected last week by House Republicans. Nick and I are going to recap the entire week that was, take you through it all, Plus, later on in the program, former White House Cabinet Secretary and assistant to former President Trump. He's a principal over at the Vogel Group. My buddy Bill McGinley stops by to talk to us about the latest mass shooting that happened up in Maine. Some of the work that he's actually doing with victims, uh, families uh, of the victims of the Parkland mass shooting that happened back in 2017. We're going to talk about Israel Hamas, a breakdown of the newest Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Bill's going to help us analyze all of that in the next segment. And before we sign off, Nick. We will say farewell to a campaign that will soon be forgotten. That's right. I wrote it like that. More on that in just a bit. Now I say hello to my co-host, Nicholas Severi. Nick, what's going on, buddy? How's, how's everything? What a crazy dude. No joke. What a crazy week for people that don't know how we do this show. Um, Nick and I record our intros separate days than when we record our interviews. So the interview with Bill a few days ago, we're doing our intro a few days after. And just in those few days. You know, the the mass shooter is found dead. You know, I think I think it was in a vehicle or something like that, that he was found dead up in Maine. Um, The craziness with Mike Johnson now in terms of he wants to separate the aid for Ukraine versus Israel and get that package in front of the the Senate. uh, Excuse me, the Senate itself. 
So that's going to lead to a showdown. Who knows if that'll get approved? Remember, the Democrats uh, control the majority in the Senate. Just so many crazy things. And then Israel's continuing their offensive in, in Gaza. Hamas has released uh, another hostage as of this recording. There's just so much going on. It's like you can't keep up with it because w- w- as you and I are about to record something, something else breaks when all this happens. Well, how you been uh, otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no other way to say it. I mean, right now we're, t- we're at a time where it's just tumultuous times. And even that soft, you know, just soft toss- tossing it. You know, I've, I've heard some of the comments from the the newly elected speaker. Um, I'm always having a tough time when I hear members of the Republican Party that that are not willing to look at members of the LGBTQI plus community with any sense of respect or dignity that want to talk about the Bible um, because Jesus would not have done this. And these same people that want to just, you know, throw their Bible and thumb their noses at decency, consider themselves Christians are an embarrassment truly to to Christians. Um, so when Mike Johnson leads off with talking about prayer and, and how this is all somehow, there was something he had said about, you know, all these people that have come forward as members of Congress are doing a calling. I was going to say, just don't let's feed into the first segment, because what I did want to do, I have some sound from him saying some of that stuff. So I was going to let you pick. You, you spoiled the card here. I was going to let you pick. Did you want to talk about the main mass shooting first or did you want to actually talk about Speaker Johnson and some of his rhetoric from the last week, his voting record? You pick. What do you what do you want to talk about first, sir? I mean, I'll go one A, one B. I'll go. I mean, in terms of the main mass shooting um, there, there's not much I can say. I mean, yeah, I mean let's do that. I mean, right. I mean, it's, it's what's it? Twenty two people. You know, it's, no, it was eight, 18 people that were killed and, and uh, another, I believe, 17 or so injured. Let's get into that first, because I do want to play some sound from the governor up there, uh, Janet Mills, uh, because last week, massive manhunt going on for this former U.S. Army reservist who went into a bowling alley. Then he went to a bar shooting a gunfire all up in Lewiston, Maine. 18 people were killed. He took his own life inside of a cargo trailer. That's what it was parked over in a recycling plant where he used to work. Uh, the guy's name was Robert Card. He's 40 years old, found dead Friday evening. Um, this is a guy that kind of, and we get to this with Bill in a little bit, about mental help, but also the weaponry, right? The access to the weaponry, because there's laws on the book. Uh, Maine has like a yellow flag law, which we'll explain in a little bit what that is. But some of these fell through the cracks as this guy was part of uh, a rehabilitation center and they like released him um, a bunch of different press briefings about this. I want to play a little bit of the sound from the governor up there. Like I mentioned, Governor Mills, who addressed the media last week after he was found dead and thanking all of the law enforcement officials that were able to eventually find this guy and unfortunately grieving for the people that lost their lives and the, and the victims families that are all going to be going through this in their mind over and over. Take a listen to this. Lewiston is a special place. This isn't us. Lewiston is a great place. It's a close-knit community of fine people, people with a long history, a history of hard work, of persistence, of faith, of opening its big heart to people everywhere. And tonight, the city of Lewiston and the state of Maine begin to move forward on what will be a long and difficult road to healing. 
but we will heal. You know, oftentimes when this happens and you hear some of these press conferences and then the investigation process happens, why did this guy do it? He's, you know, a law enforcement bulletin circulated this week, identifying him as a trained firearms instructor at a U.S. Army Reserve base up in Saco, Maine. It had been reported he was hearing voices. He had other mental health issues. Like I said, we get into that a little bit in our next segment with Bill. But just for me at a high level here, you and I have talked about this, about viral videos that we've seen of former military folks that are just failed by what happens with the VA and how they're just treated as another number and yet not humanizing, humanizing, excuse me, some of the issues that they're going through and they're not able to get the help that they truly need. And here's an example of somebody that had threatened to shoot up a National Guard base up in Sackle. He was reported to have been committed to a mental health facility for two weeks during this past summer, and he was subsequently released, according to the Maine Information and Analysis Center, and that's a unit of the Maine State Police. This is all according to Reuters uh, and a great article that you can go read over there by Gabriella Border. Um, it's just, we keep going in this vicious circle here, but again, it's a two-track thing here because a lot of people can point to his mental health issues, and then you and I, we point to Look at that weapon that everyone has seen in the photo that has circulated around this guy and members of law enforcement all saying, whether it be on TV or whether it be on podcasts, whatever it is, that is a weapon I have not seen since my days fighting XYZ war or or even for some of the local law enforcement officials. We don't have anything of that military grade style. So gun violence archive. There is now 581 mass shootings that have happened in 2023 alone, 581 mass shootings. This is yet another one. And, and again, another community, a small community that's forever affected by this. All right. What are some of your takeaways from this now that, 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 that we kind of played a little bit of sound there from the governor? This has kind of been wrapped up um, in terms of finding his body and knowing that he doesn't pose a threat or a risk to the citizens of Maine up there. Um, just some of your emotions as we continue to become numb to this. And now the conversation will continue. And we're going to play in a little bit what Speaker Johnson's comments were about this. But uh, should he have gotten mental health? Sure. What laws does Maine have on the books? Well, they do. And they had this guy in a facility and then they let him go. And then he still had access to his weapons. And so we go round and round. Now he has this weapon and he's hearing voices. And the next thing you know, 18 people are dead, another 17 are injured and a community is forever affected. Uh, what do you make of it all? Well, first, you know, that opening line that you heard from, I think it was the governor who had mentioned, you know, quote unquote, this isn't us. And I don't know what the hell that means anymore, to be honest. I mean, these mass shootings happen anywhere in the United States. So any community that thinks that somehow they're above this is fooling themselves. Because as you put it, Mike, we have not seen any, any assault rifle ban. You know, really, since basically it, it ended in 1994, you know, but in terms of Congress's response, we saw the the comments from Representative Jared Golden, who is one of five Democrats who did not support the House approved legislation on banning assault weapons that came out last summer. And in light of the recent shooting has changed his view. Critics will say, well, it took this for you to use common sense. And I don't care. I I. I I'm glad the person has seen the light of of how wrong this is. Like that we don't have any provisions in place to meaningfully prevent people 
from having access to certain classes of weapons. You know, the fact that this person was released from a release from an institute, you know, two weeks after. And people bring this up often as though like, well, the person was just let go of, you know, people suffer from mental illness. Many people do. I don't know the amount of time you have someone in a facility that's supposed to address this problem. So this individual is going to get let out at any point. And then the question is from a, from a legal standpoint, you know, what do you have in place? Do you flag this person to say, well, this person should not have access to these weapons? Like, let's say you're not in a scenario where we're just going to, you know, we should, but obviously we don't ban all assault weapons. So here's a person who would, I guess, meet a certain classification, which I don't know if I'm necessarily comfortable with because we're trying to say, well, certain people you know, are a certain way that shouldn't have access to these guns. And I tend to be more the absolutist of like, no one should be able to. As I say that at the same time, I'm also recognizing the fact that, you know, we've seen situations where, you know, the results of violence are really stemming from abusive men. I mean, to be blunt about it, and they'll be flagged as being domestic abusers and states will have things in place to say, well, this person, if you're guilty of this particular crime, will make sure it's harder for you to get a gun. So and I understand that too, but yeah, it just kind of falls into this place of it. it you, no one should have access to that gun. It just, that's, that's it. I don't, I know you and I are both people that even if, if I had an AR 15 hanging on my wall back here and why, I don't know. I'm confident in myself knowing that I would never have the need to use in that way. But then at the same point, why would I have it in the first place? Again, for anyone who's critical of my stance on this, I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe people should have access to certain classes of weapons, but I believe there should be classes. I mean, for goodness sakes, we have classes for drugs. You're telling, and for vehicles too, vehicles. by the way. Just because yeah. you drive a car doesn't mean you can drive a truck. Right. We don't have that for guns. And then before people want to get stupid and write this show and say, well, the Second Amendment, blah, 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 need I remind you the very important detail of the need for a regulated militia, which I would argue is the police department. So there is language that says there is something that should be in place. So if we're yep. willing to have classifications for so many other things in our society, we should certainly have them for guns. I would just add to that also, if my memory serves me correct, uh, that was written, what was that? 17? Yeah, okay, exactly. And it's now 2023 and we don't have bayonets and we don't have, you know, <laughs> muskets. Uh, so it's a little bit different. You know how I feel about this. If you haven't listened to this show before, it's your first time coming in here. I, I don't get the obsession with guns. I believe people can own guns. That's fine. I don't care about that. Like Nick said, get tested, get training for it. I don't care that you own it. I'm not a gun enthusiast by any stretch of the imagination. But like I've said before, and maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just Nick. I don't know. But I, I equate it always to guff. And if tomorrow Callaway epic big Bertha's were being leveraged by people in mass driver killings because people are swinging golf clubs needlessly. And the government was like, we need to take these off the street. Everyone give us back your Callaway big Bertha epic driver. I would drive mines back and give it and give it back up like that. I mean, again, that's me. Some people will say, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, maybe I don't, but that's what I would do for the greater good because I see that this is out there in circulation and it's costing people's lives and it's affecting communities. And I know we're going to get with with Bill in a second about the mental health uh, aspect of this. And we're doing a partnership coming up with somebody in the space. But there's the other part. We don't really talk about the mental health and treat it uh, seriously. So 
Um, there are certain states that rank really low in terms of, of funding for some of those mental health services programs. I don't know where Maine ranks on that chart, but there we go. If you're not taking it serious and you don't believe the crisis is real, but then you point to this as a crisis for why this guy did this, like we just keep going around and around in circles and we're not solving the problem. Uh, I want to segue into Speaker Mike Johnson because he had mentioned about the shooter. He was asked this on a Hannity interview uh, last week over on Fox News, his first public interview since he actually got the job. And everybody, obviously, when these happen, everyone gets entrenched into their camps. And we're going to talk with Bill in the next segment about how to kind of break down that division and something that he's doing to get some bipartisan compromise on this. Because as he mentions to us, Nick, gun control is always the Dems position. Grab the guns. Republicans don't touch the guns. But let's talk about mental health, but then we don't devote resources to mental health. So we're going around in circles. So how do we compromise on this? Why don't you take a listen to what Speaker Johnson said about this, and then we're going to talk a little bit about his new job and what this looks like for the next 12 months for the U.S. House of Representatives. Take a listen to this. And this happens with almost every shooting incident. The, the media call by the left in this country, we need more gun laws, we need more legislation. Yeah. What's your answer to that? At the end of the day, it's the problem is the human heart. It's not guns, it's not the weapons. At the end of the day, we have to protect the, the right of the citizens to protect themselves, and that's the Second Amendment. And that's why our party stands so strongly for that. I agree with the comments of, of your guests there. This is not the time to be talking about legislation. We're in the middle of that crisis right now. Is there any any specific gun law that you would look at or any new legislation you would look at? Well, been on the job for 48 hours. We'll see. I mean, there'll be lots of discussion as there are after these heartbreaking tragedies. But your point is well taken. I mean, you know, in Europe uh, and in other places, they use vehicles to mow down crowds at parades where they've done that here in the United States. It, it's, it's not the weapon. It's the underlying problem. I, I believe we have to address the root problems of these things. And mental health, obviously, as in this case, is a big issue. And we've got to seriously address that as a society and as a government. And, and there's lots of measures pending on that as well. You know, as I was mentioning before about Speaker Johnson, he said that they're going to try to find a way to to siphon off the Israeli aid as its own package, standalone thing, try to get that passed. Um, so we know how he feels a little bit about that. He wants to separate the Russia and Ukraine, or Ukraine, excuse me, uh, funding from the federal government and separate that for Israel uh, and put that first. You just heard how he feels there about this senseless tragedy that happened again, how do we follow through with action on mental health services is one thing, but uh, the human heart, I mean, yeah, sure. The human heart is a problem. That's, that's great. But also if I have a bad human heart and I want to inflict damage and I'm able to get something that can inflict the most damage, wouldn't you not want that, not have the ability for me to get that? I would think you would not want that. Um, Nick, before I ask you about, Speaker Johnson, because we had famously played a clip here uh, last year from something he had said in one of his committee committee hearings, excuse me, they had a doctor on the Hill when uh, we were talking about uh, the women's reproductive rights and the right to an abortion. And uh, they had a couple of doctors on. He was famously asking uh, a doctor if she would be comfortable with an abortion as the baby's coming out of you know the fetal canal. And the doctor said, that's not a real thing. Like in the medical community, nobody just acts babies when they're coming out of the, the, the birthing canal, excuse me, not the fetal canal. And, and so he continued, he's like, no, this does happen. But of course, didn't provide any evidence from that. 
which ticked you and I off because again, we want to get to the sensibility of R and D versus versus right and wrong. That scenario is not plausible. It's never happened in the medical community. So you're a living in fantasy land, yet you want us to discuss something serious with you, sir. So if you want to talk about certain measures like later on, late term, you know, 30 month and on and, and women getting abortions. Yeah, of course. I think we all are in agreement that that shouldn't happen, but you give a uh, not, not, not plausible scenario to a doctor that's never, it's never happened. And that's a famous clip that we had talked about on this show, but I did want to mention for you, if you go to verifythis.com, they have an article about uh, five different issues that the Speaker of the House has kind of uh, positioned himself on, or at least he's talked about, whether it be publicly or whether it be in, in different uh, press conferences, et cetera, on social media. Uh, first, everyone knows Mike Johnson was instrumental in helping to overturn the 2020 election results. He had um, he was more than one of 100 House members that voted in favor of objecting to the results in both cases. Uh, he led an amicus brief that was signed by 125 other House members in support, if you remember, Nick, of that Texas lawsuit that sought to overturn the election results in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Now, I will say, uh, not a crime to not support the results of an election. That Some of that happened when Kerry didn't win. We've seen that on the Democratic side. It's It's smaller numbers. It's not 125 people. But We've seen that as well in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. Not a crime to do that. Just want to point that out there, though, that he did do that. Okay, um, let's go into the second one. Does he uh, oppose abortion rights? I think we just mentioned that we know he's going to be pro-life, but how pro-life? Um, the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life of, of America a nonprofit foundation has given him an A-plus rating for his congressional voting record. Uh, he's championed Louisiana's abortion law, which is a near total ban in the state in February of 23, he introduced legislation that would make it illegal to transport a minor across state lines to get an abortion without satisfying parental involvement law. Uh, that bill was called the Child Interstate Abortion Notification Act. It would make it a crime for doctors to perform an abortion without first notifying an out-of-state minor's parents. Uh, and the House obviously did not pass that bill at the time. Uh, Johnson has co-sponsored bills that would have banned abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected, as well as after 15 and 20 weeks of pregnancy, House didn't pass either of those. He's also uh, voiced opposition to same-sex marriages for decades um, and, and LGBTQ rights. He served as an attorney before his time in Congress with the Alliance Defense, uh, Defending Freedom, excuse me, one of, the, one of the foremost legal advocates of causes valued by many uh, of the religious folks out there. This is according to the Associated Press. In 2004, he famously championed a Louisiana ballot measure that banned same-sex marriage. Writing in a local newspaper, homosexual relationships are inherently unnatural. Society should not approve such a dangerous lifestyle. A lot there. Um, what do you, <laughs> I mean, you're laughing at me here for the people watching us on YouTube here. Uh, you know, everyone, look, listen, folks, everyone's entitled to their own opinion on, on things. You just are. Until you make it into a seat of Congress like Mike Johnson or the third most powerful person uh, in the United States, like he is right now, now all of a sudden it becomes a, whoa, wait a minute, hold on one second. I thought you wanted freedom for everybody, yet you oppose the way people are choosing to freely 
live their lives. Isn't that in direct contradiction, sir? If we had him on the show, would be one of the questions I would ask him. Regardless of what the Bible teaches you, because there's other passages in the Bible that I could clearly point to that will say, love thy neighbor as thyself. Did you know about that, Nicholas? So I'm curious for your thoughts, because forget about the Bible, forget about the religious stuff for a second, just on certain policy things, his history uh, with these Louisiana ballot measures, um, the exchange that even he had in the committee with that doctor, and then obviously voting uh, to overturn the election results in those states back in 2020. What do you make of Speaker Johnson's uh, rise, his history here? What do you make of it all? Yeah, I, I, I chuckle a little bit um, because it, what you were reading, I'm looking at the same quote from NBC News. And and you know, for the folks at home or if you're viewing on YouTube, thanks for doing so. I'll go ahead and finish his comment. So where Mike left off with was you know the comment about homosexual relationships. So Representative Johnson goes a little further. Quote, society cannot give its stamp of approval to such a dangerous lifestyle. If we change marriage for this tiny modern minority, we will have to do it for every deviant group, polygamists, polyamorists, pedophiles, and others will be next in line to claim equal protection. They already are. There will be no legal basis to deny a bisexual the right to marry a partner of each sex or a person to marry his pet. I'm glad you mentioned the Bible. <laughs> specifically in the new testament this is completely antithetical to what and i've read the gospels folks you know this un this willingness to hate people because you don't agree with the way they lead they live their lives denying people actually to have the same rights as you because you don't agree with the way they live and, and I'm going to be very careful here because oftentimes when we talk about matters of, of homosexual couples or bisexual couples that we talk about in terms of preferences, choices, and we know that that's not the case. People simply are attracted to whom they're attracted to. Here we go again with the idea that, well, you know, if you're not in a heterosexual relationship or if you're not heterosexual, we use words like deviant. We use words um, unnatural. We liken it to wanting to marry your animal, your pet. And all of it's just hurtful language. But on top of it, it's big. It, it's just bigoted. You, Mike, you said a moment ago that once you, you know, join as a member of Congress, that it's no longer acceptable. And I would argue that it certainly is. I mean, he's a representative of people from Shreveport, Louisiana, or at least he, I think he's from Shreveport. So if that's the values of those people there, then he's simply representing those values. Now, granted, what I just read and what Mike spoke to earlier is from back in 2003. I don't know if he subscribes to the same level of hate speech now, 20 years removed, but he hasn't really refuted it. So I don't make of that what you will. So currently we have someone who doesn't think that if you are not heterosexual, that you have the right to live the life you want to that you need to for the person that you are. And that I find offensive. It flies in the face of everything we believe in this country. It certainly flies in the face of a conservative movement that talks so much about freedom, unless it's not a fan of a particular practice. In this case, the books you read, some of the people that you choose to be with sexually, the people you love and conservatives like to do that. Like they parse out this idea of freedom, but it's really a freedom for only a certain group of people. And when, and that comes up, I would simply call him a hypocrite. Yeah, you know, 
my biggest thing was um, without pushing back on you for some of this, because my biggest thing was with him. It was that specific committee hearing. That's how I first learned about him. And and by the way, we've seen other members of Congress. I think Susan Collins said this. She's like, I, I've never heard of him. Don't even know what state he represents. I need to learn more about him, which is terrible, Susan Collins. I mean, there's only like 430 of you that are that are over there, 535 of you, if you want the clear number. I mean, geez, like get to know your colleagues, huh? Um, but I get it, two different chambers. It probably doesn't see her that, that it doesn't see him that often. But that specific hearing was so annoying to me because, again, we talk about, you and I on this show, subject matter expertise. You and I are not doctors. We're just not. I know you're married to one. You're still not one right? The knowledge transfer doesn't come over here. And you didn't go through years of schooling. You've never done a surgery or anything like that. And here he is in a hearing. He has no medical degree. He has no medical background. And he's over here asking an implausible scenario to a licensed a gynecologist. I believe she was a, a, an OBGYN or a head of like um, of that uh, specific field at the hospital that she worked at. A question that is just not rooted in anything science or medical. And that's where I had the biggest issue, because if you carry that transitive property over, as I like to use this math term, if you carry that property over into the rest of your life. Why would I listen to you? Why would I work with you? You don't believe in common sense. Now, if you want to talk about you are right to life in terms of when a heartbeat is actually detected that you think abortions should be illegal, unless in you know rape, incest, things like that. OK, I'm willing to listen to that. I get that. There is a human life beating there. Hopefully it makes it to, you know, the 39, 40 week, 41 weeks, whenever it is that uh, a, a child comes out. Okay. You want to, you want to do that? That's fine. To give a scenario where, again, I don't have the clip here where the baby's coming out of the birth canal and now would you be okay with any doctor performing an abortion? That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So you're giving me an implausible scenario there. Why would I listen to you now about something else budgetary? Because the biggest thing is going to be happening. The government's going to run out of money November 17th, unless another 45-day uh, CR is signed into effect. We're going to have to go into a, a bunch of these things. And it's like I've been telling people about Israel Hamas, uh, about other conversations we've had on the show. You got to be on the up and up so we can talk to each other and meet somewhere in a compromised state. But if the conversation is on the up and up, why am I having the conversation with you? And Mike Johnson, in my opinion, falls into that realm of why would I have a conversation with this person? Now, I know conservatives will argue, and Bill's going to talk to us in a little bit about that, about some of the other things that he's truly conservative value about when it comes to other aspects of the government. Okay, I'm willing to hear that, but I just gave you a scenario that we all saw play out on C-SPAN and other channels. It's all, it's viral on social media. You can look it up, Mike Johnson and, and the doctor, and see that exchange and he's not believing in facts and science in there. Why would we listen to him on other things? And again, House controlled by Republicans, the Senate controlled by Democrats. America has said and voted and has said, you guys and gals need to get along. That's why one of you controls this one. That's why the other one controls this one. You know what happens when that happens, Nick? Nothing gets done. We leave it there. We'll go into our next segment. Like I mentioned, former assistant to President Trump, uh, former White House former White House cabinet secretary uh, and assistant to former President Trump, principal over at the Vogel Group, Bill McGinley, joins us in the next segment. We're going to break down 
everything that happened last week, that mass shooting, I want to give some space to the bill to talk about some of the stuff he's doing with the, the victim families over there from the Parkland shooting and some school safety regulation stuff that hopefully we get some bipartisan compromise here in the next couple of weeks, months, now that we've seen more mass shootings, the school are, are, are in session right now, keeping the kids safe. Bill, when we come back after the break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Better Sleep, a personalized sleep experience for more restful nights and wakeful days. Nick, how's your sleeping habits, buddy? I know you got two kids. You wake up early. You go to sleep late, probably. Take me through. Are you are you sleeping better? Do you need help getting to sleep? What's 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 your big uh, issue and hang up here as you're trying to fall asleep at night? My quality sleep. I, I tend to, I tend to go to sleep late. You know, I, I love to read, and but inevitably I do have to get up early. So I'm averaging probably maybe like five hours of what I would consider like quality sleep. So yeah, I'm I was excited you mentioned this partnership because. You know, one of the things about better sleep that's awesome is the fact that the entire sleep experience is what they focus on. Everything from sounds to help you sleep, you know, better understanding your sleep patterns. And Mike, that's that's really the breakdown that they offer. Super easy app to use. Um, I can't brag enough about it. I'm starting to use it myself just to really just better understand how I sleep and how I can improve that. Because it's we take it for granted, but almost any athlete will tell you, any professional will tell you. Our understanding of sleep is coming to the forefront of what really helps to improve performance. So I'm, I'm all for it. No, you're right. Anybody will tell you, you need your eight hours at least. Improve your well-being in just one week. If you go to the link right now in our show notes, it's going to take you over to better sleep and you can take the quiz. They have a take the quiz button that's available right there as soon as you come into the app. So that way it can adjust the sounds and everything you need to get a better quality sleep. Click the link in our show notes right now and head to bettersleep.com for a restful night's sleep. This episode is presented by our friends, our good friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. The coffee that's keeping me awake when Nick Savary is putting me to sleep with one of his trains of thought. Are you, you give me a look here, Nick. Uh, give me a little bit of how fresh roasted coffee keeps you awake when I'm boring you with some of my trains of thought. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Interesting introduction. Folks, I'm a huge fan, as you all know, of fresh roasted coffee, primarily for the simple fact about diversity. If you're a tea person, they've got you covered. If you're a coffee person, they got you covered too. Mike and I take our coffee very differently. Mike is a Keurig man. 
that is efficient, that is tasty, that's the way to go. I am a French press person. Nowadays, I actually grind my own beans. So when I get my batch of fresh roasted coffee, it goes right into the grinder, then to the French press, boiled water, let's go. But in either case, our cup of coffee comes out delicious, mostly because they ask you at the jump, what's just tell us about you. Simple quiz. They'll direct you to the bean or brand that you you should be getting in touch with. And that's the way to go. And then they just produce an incredible cup of coffee, again, regardless of how you do it. No, that's exactly right. You can take the quiz over at freshroastedcoffee.com. And in the show notes page right now of this episode, hit the link for a discount or enter in the promo code after you've taken the quiz, after you've selected the coffee you're going to order, enter in the promo code, can we please get 20 for 20% off your first purchase. I'm telling you, this coffee is delicious. Go to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, here to help us break down a bunch of things that are happening out there in the world of news and politics, a new speaker of the House, the mass shooting that happened up in Maine, unfortunately, the, the war that continues with Israel and Hamas, former White House cabinet secretary under former President Donald Trump, and now principal over at the Vogel Group, my buddy, uh, uh, Bill McGinley. Bill, Mike and Nick, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah. You know, Bill, I, I haven't seen you in a while since our, our Fox News panel, and a lot has happened since you and I were on that panel. The, the networks have almost stopped these political panels because of so many things that are playing out in the world of news. I want to get some of your your takeaways on a bunch of different things I just alluded to before. But uh, the first is this this mass shooting that happened in Maine. Uh, you know, mass shootings have happened throughout this country's history. The Gun Violence Archives has up-to-date data on how much mass shootings have happened year over year in this country. Just high level for you, because we're going to get into some of the stuff you're doing with some of the survivors and, and the victims' families of the Parkland mass shooting that happened where I live down here in Florida. But just high level for you, when you heard about this, as we're recording this, the suspect is still at large. Like, What are some of the things that are running for you emotion-wise? Well, I mean, it, it really brings me back to the White House when the Parkland tragedy happened. Um, and learning about, you know, all of the what happened on that school campus. Um, also, the Las Vegas shooting. Um, a lot of people really don't bring up Vegas that much anymore. But um, actually, one of my best friends was at that concert. Um, and thankfully, he and his wife were not um, injured uh, in any way. But, you know, this is becoming more and more frequent. And I think it's time that we really acknowledge kind of the mental health crisis that we have in this country. Um, I know that there's going to be a lot of discussions about guns and whether automatic weapons should be taken away. But if we, I, for me, when you look at a lot of these different tragedies that are unfolding, including this one up in Maine, which hopefully will be brought to a resolution here soon, peacefully, we all hope, um, we, we need to start talking about mental health. We need to acknowledge the issue that's there and actually start having a very serious conversation about what we need to do to address it, including uh, allocating resources to try and get a lot of these people the help they need. Bill, I, I understand that, especially with this most recent shooting. You know, when we talk about mental health, mm -hmm. you know, there's also this recognition that, you know, access to certain weapons is what makes this more, not necessarily more likely, but part of the reality. And oftentimes, in the midst of a mass shooting, we'll have that conversation of mental health, although as a country, we struggle with actually really addressing that. And that's really? partly Congress to blame. But 
in matters of dealing with recognizing, you know, that there are different classifications of weapons and like, what is our conversation here going to be about? Not necessarily here, but I mean, just naturally of recognizing that is part of our challenge coupled with mental health. Also, the fact that we have, especially in this most recent case, a person who had access to a weapon that is far too dangerous for any citizen arguably to have. Is that part of the dialogue? Well, you know, what's interesting about the main situation is, number one, it sounds like the military did identify that this guy was in mental crisis. Um, they committed him for two weeks. Um, he really is kind of um, a combination of all the worst elements that could produce a tragedy like this. You know, he's he's a reservist, so he's got military training. Um, he's a marksman. He's a firearms instructor. Um, he's going to have access to guns in those two roles right there. But, you know, he gets committed. It sounds like he may have been committed, not voluntarily admitted to an institution, but was committed. And, you know, the question becomes after that, well, how is law enforcement? How, why did that not trigger all sorts of things that could potentially, you know, take away the guns that he may have had? I mean, even the most ardent Second Amendment supporters um, will agree that, you know, people who are in mental crisis, who are a danger to themselves, a danger to those around them, um, should not have access to these weapons. And where did the where did the system break down? Um, I remember right after I think it was Parkland in Texas, there was that church shooting and the guy was in the Air Force and I think he was dishonorably discharged. There was something wrong with the record keeping out of the Air Force that didn't put the information about him into the national database. So when he goes to a gun dealer who does the right thing and runs a background check, it didn't flag his background. Um, and so he just sold him the gun. So I, 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 I hear everything that you're saying and I don't, I, I don't, I think it's a valid point that needs discussion, but I also think we need to have a discussion about, there's a lot of tripwires on the books already where we just seem to continually have these breakdown in these processes. And it allows people who should not have guns, who need help or should be taken off the streets, um, continue access to it. And we see the type of tragedies that we're seeing up in Maine. We see the tragedies that we see unfold on schools. I know when Mike and I were talking about this issue right after our appearance on Fox News, one of the things that we talked about is, you know, these people who commit these tragedies, um, don't wake up one morning and decide, I'm just going to shoot up the world. It's usually weeks, months, sometimes years where they're sending up red flags. I'm in trouble. I need help. Um, the guy who went in and shot up Parkland, he was so troubled that people were calling the FBI tip line and saying, hey, you got to watch this guy. There's something going on here. Um, the Buffalo shooter, if you remember Buffalo right before Uvalde, there was the guy who went and shot up the, the, the strip mall there in Buffalo, New York. All you had to do, from what I understand, is look at his YouTube page, and he was liking every mass video of a mass shooting, everything from New Zealand to, to Las Vegas to all of this stuff. These are screams for help, and we need to start paying attention to this. Yeah, there's a lot there that I, I want to follow up on. I, I'm probably going to do it towards the end, uh, Bill, because like I said, I want to give you some space to talk about the stuff you're doing with the Parkland families, and in the hopes that we don't have to live through something like that again, although for the people in Maine, unfortunately, it's too recent. I, I did want to pivot to something else that's sure. playing out uh, on the national level and on the world level is is what's happening uh, in the Gaza Strip right now and, and with the war with Israel and Hamas. 
you know, we've had the last couple of episodes, a few segments devoted to this with a UCLA professor of Israel studies. We've had a Palestinian historian on, and it's not really this uh, one side versus the other side type of conversation. We really want to learn more about the history of the conflict. For you, having worked in the White House, having served under the Trump administration, we've seen what he has posted about some of the things foreign policy-wise that he wouldn't have done. But what did you make of when Hamas was able to, by land, sea, and air, uh, attack Israel, take hostages, and do all of these things that the terrorist organization that they are were able to bypass Israeli um, security and intelligence uh, in a lot of different ways. What were some of the things uh, going in your mind October 7th when that happened? And now as the war is playing out, as Israel continues to bomb different areas of Gaza and the humanitarian crisis that's happening now, what do you make of it all? So one of the first things, I had a conversation the other day with a friend, and one of the things that we discussed was the brutality, the depravity of what the Hamas terrorists did when they entered Israel, killing parents in front of their young children, burning them alive, beheading infants, raping women, taking hostages. The brutality of that operation by the Hamas fighters was probably designed to create a generation of hatred. Because if you do that in front of a four-year-old boy or girl, and you kill his or her parents in front of them, decapitate them or burn them alive, that child, if they live until 85 years of age, is going to be hard to forgive what happened to them in front of that. And it almost seems like an operation that was designed to really create the divide between Palestinians and Israelis and give them an opportunity um, for peace. And, you know, Iran, of course, is a, is a major backer of, of, of Hamas. I think that um, Israel has shown um, a, a restraint in allowing the, the, the humanitarian aid to get into the Gaza Strip. Um, I think that there are multiple nations that are trying uh, to convince Hamas to let the innocent Palestinian civilians go um, to get out of the Strip and not use them as human shields. Um, I thought that John Kirby's statements, I think it was today, where he talked about uh, the brutality, I thought, was one of the best statements on, on the war. He was asked about, you know, he was being taken to task for something that President Biden said that, that you know, the, the, the civilian casualties in, in Hamas are a price of war and what happened in Israel. And a reporter kind of took John Kirby to, to task. If you haven't watched that exchange, I, I, I would ask you to look at it. And John Kirby just talked about, you know, the, the brutality of what happened to the Israelis and that when you do something like that, you know you're starting a war and civilians are going to be killed, unfortunately, in every war. I don't see how Israel survives um, if they don't try to um, take out Hamas. Um, I think they really do have a generational issue on their hands, especially with the current power dynamic in the Middle East. Um, we all hope for peace, but I don't think peace can come until Israel is able to try and secure its borders by taking out the terrorist threats in, in the Gaza Strip. You know, that transitions to a, a reality we're dealing with, which is the absence of a House speaker until recently, because any major decisions and votes of that such to support Israel or Ukraine, for that matter, were not in place. And that's no longer the issue as of yesterday with Mike Johnson from Shreveport, you know, Louisiana, of course, now the new speaker. Um, you know, Bill, what's your assessment of the new speaker? The, the story about Representative Johnson seems to be that he's a relative unknown. So going from that sort of perspective, perception to where he is now what's your what's your read of him 
what made the the party really rally behind him? I think the party needed to almost go, th- the House Republicans needed to go through a process. You know, there were the eight Republicans that joined with the Democrats and voted Kevin McCarthy, uh, voted for the motion to vacate and deposed Kevin McCarthy. And it almost seems like in retrospect now, they needed to go through each member of leadership leading to Mike Johnson um, and really kind of expose some of the personal animosity there may have been amongst uh, House Republican members. Um, but also um, to really, and I, I said this to, at the, at, to somebody the other day, watch the, the more junior members, the people who haven't been around long enough to make enough enemies to deny them a leadership post. Um, and that really kind of happened to Mike Johnson. Um, I think what it says about the conferences, number one, they were ready to end this. Um, after Emmers got the nomination, he just wasn't going to get to 217, and he did the right thing and very quickly bowed out of the race, just like Steve Scalise did. And it really fell to Mike Johnson, who was the second highest vote getter. And I think people looked at Johnson. He's very well regarded in the in the conference. Um, he's somebody that moderates and conservatives like. Um, he's a very um, he's a gentleman. I think is the best way to say it. Um, he, he treats everybody with respect. He's got some very, um, he's got, he's, he's conservative, um, and he's not afraid to show that. Um, but I also think he does something, um, that a lot of people in Washington refuse to do and that's listen. Um, and I think that may have been something that helped him get across the finish line and get a unanimous vote from the Republican conference. Um, he is, he's going to have a learning curve. And I think, you know, if you look at some of the statements from the different, the five families um, in the House conference, I think he's going to get a bit of a honeymoon period. I think they're going to give him some room um, to staff up, to get the people necessary to actually run the House of Representatives, but also do the political and fundraising responsibilities he's going to have. Um, But I think it's also, and I take him at his word from his acceptance speech, um, I think really Steve Scalise, his majority leader, his power will increase. I think Tom Emmer's uh, authority as a majority whip and Elise Stefanik as conference chair. And I think the committee chairs um, are also going to have more authority. I do really think he's going to try and devolve some of the authority out of the speaker's office and back to the committees in the in the House leadership. You know, Bill, kind of staying on that a, a little bit uh, adjacent to it, uh, the former president and everyone was kind of looking for different endorsements uh, as this speaker race was unfolding over the last three weeks. If you had been on it any other time, you would have helped us break this down and who actually could emerge from all of this. But um, you actually worked at the White House with the former president under the Trump administration. Uh, my co-host wanted to ask this question, but I'm going to steal it from him because I'm going to ask it better, Bill. OK, yeah. what is you and I were on a panel. We're talking about the GOP 24 campaign. We're talking about who can unseat the current man that is under indictments, whether or not we think they're politically motivated is outside of this. But. What is the truth about the relationship, in your estimation, between former President Trump and the Republican Party? Because it seemed like he doesn't give an endorsement of Tom Emmer. Tom Emmer doesn't get it. He likes Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson gets it. So can you kind of break down, is is the hold on the party so strong that they will go along with anything that he says? Do you see anybody unseating him at any single time? Like, what is your take on and read on it? as having worked for him? Well, I think, you know, remember, he also endorsed Jim Jordan and Jim Jordan did not get it. Um, So, you know, and we've seen that in primaries in the 22 
um, election where a number of his endorsed candidates um, did not win the primary. Some some won the primary and went on to win the general election, like J.D. Vance is a prime example. Um, his hold on the party, he changed the party. Um, I think the party became less of a corporate business party and more of a populist worker party um, with Donald Trump. I think if you look at the trade policy with China trying to repatriate the manufacturing jobs in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act about trying to incentivize multinational corporations to take all of the money that they had parked overseas for tax purposes to give them an incentive to reinvest it into America so that those jobs could come home. Um, those were really populist policies that I think resonated um, with the base. I think really the truth of the matter is, is that the, the grassroots in the Republican Party were trending that way, and they really didn't have a champion um, who could carry it until Donald Trump came along. From all of the events that I've seen and the things that I went to, the rank and file of a lot of unions are very with Donald Trump. The leadership may not be. Um, and so it's going to be very interesting to see how that dynamic plays out in the 2024 election. Now, the president obviously has a very heavy schedule in court because he's under four indictments. He's, you know, under four indictments. He's got 91 charges against him. And in a way, his his candidacy, his campaign for the presidency is going to play out inside and outside at the sticks of those courtrooms. And so he's because I mean, if you look at the schedule that he's going to have both in Florida, Georgia, Washington, D.C. and New York, I mean, he's pretty much going to live in the courtroom. Um, unless the judge is going to give him leave to go out and campaign. And so I, I don't see this. I don't I don't see Donald Trump's popularity dropping anytime soon. Everybody who's brought um, an indictment against him or a civil charge against him, like the New York attorney general did, is a deep blue Democrat. And if you look at the base, if you look at the 45, 50 percent of the Republican electorate, Looking at what's happening to Donald Trump, they see it as the witch hunt he says it is. They say these are just deep blue Democrats that are trying to keep me from fighting for you and retaking the White House. And it's a message that resonates. And if you want evidence of that, just look at the look at the polling. I mean, from when he got in to where he is now, he's more popular now than he was when he first announced that he was running for this election. And so I think that message is going to continue to resonate with the with the Republican primary voters. You know, to that end about the base, you know, with the upcoming debate, you know, Bill, where you know, we've seen two debates so far and, and there's a lot of reaction. I mean, it's reactionary to, you know, the matters of the country right now. But my question is, where do the Republicans want to lead? You know, because right now what we're seeing and let's take Trump off the table for a second. Yeah, you know, what we see in someone like Ron DeSantis as a pursuit of an agenda that is fallacious at best about this anti-woke thing, which is not the polling numbers tell us it's not carrying to the other 49 states. And then you have Vivek Ramaswamy coming in third with a essentially what seems like an almost McKinsey like chat GBT almost vibe to a very robotic response to what what matters of the day, whichever way the wind blows, it seems to be. And then there's, of course, someone like Nikki Haley, who you both spoke about on the, on the panel at Fox on, on Mike Emanuel's show. But Trump aside, though, where where does the party want to be the leader? Is it a matter of economics? Is it a matter of social policy? Because, you know, the Republican Party, I think about, you know, previously with even someone like George W. Bush, didn't seem to want to weigh in as heavily 
as the party does now, at least some do, front runners of the, you know, of the GOP around social matters. And it leads to the question of what what the expectations are coming out of this third debate, but also from your vantage point, whether the Republicans want to take a stand and what's the particular vision that you're hoping to hear from any of the candidates? Yeah, and I think it's a great question. And what I really think it boils down to is the, the rhetoric versus the reality. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, everybody listens to what inside the Beltway pundits are saying, the media is saying, and the White House is saying, and, you know, jobs are up. And there was the GDP report today that said it was like 4.9% growth. I'm sure that'll be revised in some manner. But, you know, how great the economy is and, and, and the job market is strong. And then you get outside the Beltway and you talk to families and they're like, we are struggling. We are struggling. This inflation is crippling us. We can't do as much with the kids anymore. They can't do the after-school programs. They can't play the after-school sports. We're not able to get them the equipment they need. We need to figure out a way to pay for tutoring. Gas has sky high. As much as people want to say that it's coming down, it's not. Um, and now with the prospect of another war in the Middle East, everybody expects inflation to continue to go up uh, because of the price of energy. Where should the Republican Party be on that? Um, peace through strength, foreign policy. Um, you know, Donald Trump was in there for four years. Um, a lot of people criticized his rhetoric, but we didn't go into one new war. Um, when he drew a red line in the sand with Iran with Soleimani, he followed through. Unlike Obama, you saw in Syria where he drew a red line in the sand and then let everybody walk all over it. Um, economics, I think, is going to be critical because that is really the kitchen table issue. That and education of the kids. When we see the test scores continue to go down, when they see some of the programs in the schools that aren't teaching them the skills they need, not only to compete against each other in the United States, but for the United States to be competitive internationally um, by giving our children the tools they need to compete uh, for the America of the future. When they see this and they see that they feel like the opportunities are slipping away. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I don't, you know, maybe we're heading back to malaise like the Jimmy Carter uh, presidency, where people just felt like there wasn't, the future wasn't going to be as bright as they felt that they had it or that their parents gave them or the parent, their grandparents before them. I think that's where it is. Peace through strength, foreign policy, getting a handle on the economics, securing the Southern border so that the families are safe. And we don't, I mean, we don't know who's here. And it's really scary when you look at what's happening on the streets of America, who do we have in this country? We just don't know. Making sure that inflation gets under control educating the kids, teaching them how to think, not what to think, and giving them the tools to succeed. It doesn't matter who you are, school choice. Let's get all of these kids in the underprivileged areas, get them into good schools and give them the future that they deserve as Americans. Um, you know, take all of these issues and wrap it into one. And it's really kind of a morning. It's not a morning in America, but America is a hopeful place. We are still the place of freedom and try and restore freedom and give these families a fighting chance. And what we're talking about, and this is really kind of how the populist um, uh, tendencies of the Republican Party, I think, show through. It's not only are we talking about corporate America, but we're really talking about the workers in America and giving them a fighting chance. But we're also talking about the small business owners. Um, and the small business owners are the engine of job growth in the United States. Before the pandemic, they were 70% of job growth. You wanted to talk about the success of an economic policy. We used to hear a lot, you know, people would come in and talk about tax cut and jobs act. What we really heard about was the deregulation effort 
And when businesses were saying, you know, we had to comply with all these regulations that didn't make sense. We want clean air. We want clean water. We want our kids to grow up in clean neighborhoods. But these regulations are killing us and they're not advancing that goal. They're just there to be there. And so the DREG effort really led to a boom in, in manufacturing. Uh, it repatriated a lot of jobs. Um, and I think, you know, that's what we need to do. We need to focus on America and American jobs and American families and the small business owners need to be recognized for the important role they play in our country. You know, speaking of American families, Bill, I wanted to give you a couple minutes here to talk about some of the stuff that you and I talked about back in August and the stuff you're doing with Max Schachter down here. Uh, um, some common safety, uh, school safety bills that you guys have been working on, talking with Representative diaz Bellart about some of this stuff in light of what happened in Parkland back in 2017 and this recent shooting, again, not at a school in Maine, but uh, give us a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that you guys are doing with, with, with the families of Parkland. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, when I was in the White House, I got to know Max Schachter. His son, Alex, uh, was murdered at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School um, on Valentine's Day 2018. Um, and he was very active and at the, the White House when we were having about two weeks of meetings, plus we formed the commission on uh, uh, the Federal Commission on School Safety. And Max and I got together um, and, and I really came to appreciate Max and what he's doing. And one of the things that that we both of us have come to the conclusion of is that we need to start focusing on some of the common sense uh, school safety measures that can be taken such as hardening school architecture, increasing resources for mental health, um, using technology to increase security on campuses so that we get an early detection warning, um, but also law enforcement training so they understand what to do when you have a targeted, uh, an incident of targeted violence on a school campus so we don't have a repeat of Uvalde, where they sat in the, the hallway for 75 minutes um, where the kids were being killed, but the kids who were already shot could have been saved if the EMTs could have gotten in and tended to them, uh, but instead they died. And that's one of the phrases that you hear quite a bit in the school safety space is stop the killing so you can stop the dying. And so we talk about these common sense um, things that we're trying to push. One of them is called the Eagles Act. And after Parkland, the Secret Service, the National Threat Assessment Center started looking at what are the profiles of these people who go onto campus and actually commit these, these acts? You know, are there some common characteristics? And I think you guys won't be surprised by some of the findings, you know, um, unhealthy home life, bullying, drug abuse, you know, otherwise just people who are, who are really kind of crashing and they feel like they've got nothing else but to go and do this and almost make it a, a mass suicide. And so what the, what, the, what the National Threat Assessment does is they run um, multidisciplinary threat assessments. So let's say you become aware, somebody posts something on social media that says, I'm gonna go shoot up this school or I'm gonna go shoot this up and somebody finds it, um, the principal gets involved, law enforcement gets involved, mental health professional gets involved, teachers, they talk to people who may know this, hey, has something changed in their life? Do their parents just get divorced, right? Did they have something happened to a family member or a friend? Um, are they now using drugs um, where they weren't using them before to try and figure out, is this person in trouble? And the reason that you do that is because you're not trying to fuel the school to prison pipeline by trying to lock them up. You're trying to discover these issues early so you can get these kids the help they need. So you can help them lead fulfilling lives as opposed to being infamous for committing these types of tragedies. Another one is Alyssa's Law. 
Alyssa's laws is um, introduced by um, uh, Congressman Gottheimer, Democrat from New Jersey, and this is the panic app. So a number of states have already adopted this law. Teachers will have the panic app. So if something happens, student has some sort of seizure in class, they can hit the panic app. And it goes right to first responders. It also helps geolocate so that they're not thinking, where the heck is this going on in the school? They can get right to that classroom. And what you want to do with that is you want to cut the response time. And the reason you need to cut the response time is because it preserves life. If you look at what happened in the Covenant School down in Nashville, um, everybody applauded the police. They did an amazing job. When they showed up on the scene, they ran to the gunfire. There was nothing that was going to stop them. You could see the military training they had. They cleared the classrooms on the first floor and went right to the shooter and were able to neutralize the threat. Problem is, is it took them 12 minutes to get to the campus. Um, Parkland, I think around 20 people were shot within 90 seconds. And so one of the reasons you want to panic app is you want to cut that response time, because if you can get people to the incident early enough, you can save lives. The other thing is um, uh, school resource officers on every campus. So there's somebody on campus whose sole job is campus safety. Well, Bill, uh, like I said, I mean, as somebody who lives in Florida here with with little kids, Nick's got little kids. Uh, you know, I worry about these type of things, and it's good to see that there are uh, some common ground being done by you just mentioned Josh Gottenheimer, there, a Democrat from New Jersey. I mentioned uh, Diaz Ballard, the representative, a Republican. So I I'm glad to see that come through. And I, and I appreciate you telling us about that. And like I said, you can you can go check out safeschoolsforalex.org as well. And we'll have a link in our show notes so you can find out more information about that. Bill, I can't thank you enough for giving us a couple minutes here on the program. Good. You have one more thing. Yeah, I was just going to say, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Jared Moskowitz. Democrat who represents Parkland, Florida, Tony Gonzalez, who represents Uvalde, Texas. Uh, they are the co-chairs of the School Safety and Security Caucus. It's a bipartisan caucus. It's growing. Uh, we're already, we've already had it, only had it formed for a couple of months. It's already up to 10 members on a bipartisan basis. These are people committed to, to, to pursuing common sense solutions to try and keep these kids safer on, on campus. That's great to hear. And, and Representative Moskowitz actually will be on the program coming up soon. Uh, Bill, I can't thank you enough for hopping on the program. Principal over at the Vogel Group, former White House Cabinet Secretary under former President Donald Trump. Uh, continued success to you, sir. Please stay safe. Thank you. You guys, too. And I appreciate you having me on. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Nerd Focus. New energy drink sponsor on the show. Nick, let me ask you a quick question. You lack focus and concentration, motivation. Do you need something to boost your stamina and strength? I do. You know, coffee coffee isn't enough, so I'm always looking for other options. Well, I got something for you, Nick, that's going to boost your stamina and strength. It's going to enhance your focus and concentration. We're going to ramp up your motivation. We're going to provide alertness and stimulation. We're going to even improve your mood, Nick, which a lot of people on this, on the comments are going to be happy with. I got the original Think Drink infused with powerful nootropics, performance-boosting nutrients. Click the link in our show notes right now to get a special offer on Nerd Focus Beverages for being a Can We Please Talk listener. Nerd Focus, there's a nerd in everyone. All right, our thank yous there to Bill McGinley. Like I mentioned, uh, former assistant to President Trump, uh, principal over at the Vogel Group. You know, Nick, one thing I, I did want to mention, uh, Bill had sent me something because we were talking about it in the interview about this kind of uh, adjacent or comparison, I should say, between President Carter's 
administration and President Biden's administration. There was something with the Iranian revolution in 79, if you remember. Now we've got, you know, unrest in the Middle East, to put it mildly, uh, during the Biden administration. So Bill had mentioned that, but he sent me something. We were talking about it with Bill off camera about key issues for 2024. We asked him about it. You all heard it in the interview. He said economics, education, sent me something over from the Associated Press. This was a poll that was conducted uh, back on October 9th. This was an AP poll that finds 40% of Americans say their household debt has gotten higher in the last year. Most U.S. adults say their household expenses have risen, fewer having added income or savings. Can't confirm or deny if I know anything about that. Um, And then obviously 69% uh, said their household expenses have been higher in this poll. 22% said about the same. 40% of the people polled in this survey, about 1,163 adults, said their household debt was higher. 39% said about the same. Household income, 23%. Uh, and in terms of if it's higher or not, and then household savings. Um, I just want to give that context because, I, you know, it's true. The, the economy, you've said this a bunch on this show. I've said it a bunch. Actually, you've said it more. Uh, people care more about their wallet than anything else that's happening, right? Because the wallet is how you pay for the rest of the things that your family is able to do. And uh, Bill brings up a great point. And again, that's a poll that I encourage people to go check out out there. It's It's from the public affairs research from the Associated Press. I don't know what NORC stands for the acronym, but you can go check out that poll. That was October 5th to the 9th. Again, thank yous to Bill for coming on the show. All right, Nick, before we sign off here, as you hear the music in the background, we say farewell to a campaign that, to quote Matthew McConaughey's movie, failed to launch. And that was uh, former Vice President Mike Pence recently announcing that he is not going to be running for president but the highest office in the land. He dropped his bid Last week, he said, as a matter of fact, why don't we play what he said? Take a listen to this. But the Bible tells us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And traveling across the country over the past six months, I came here to say it's become clear to me. This is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. You know, I mentioned this a bunch that in any other walk of life, forget politics for a second, any other walk of life, the number two at a company, the number one leaves most of the time. You see it in sports. The head coach gets fired. The assistant gets promoted to the head job. In any other walk of life, the VP, just like President Biden, who was formerly the vice president, right? Just like Al Gore, who made a run at it back in the 2000s. Um, Anybody else that was a former number two that knew about the ins and outs of the the job requirements of the presidency of the United States would be far and ahead in some of these polls. And the latest 538 national polling, even at the local level, 538 national polling, Pence was, you know, hovering around maybe four, three to 4%. But intimately, in Iowa, from the Iowa State University poll that happened between October 6th to the 10th, he was polling at 1%. By contrast, Ryan Binkley, the GOP presidential candidate that we had on the show, Nick, he was polling at 2%. And this is a guy who has never worked in government in his life. Um, there was a also one thing before I get your takeaways before we sign off here. Speaking of the Associated Press and NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, they did a poll around all of the candidates back in August. 
57% of the people in that survey, Nick, found Mike Pence to be, they have a veg, negative view about the former vice president of the United States. Only 28% of the people polled in that poll had a positive view on him. I mentioned it on TV a few weeks ago that uh, Mike Pence, it was getting late early to quote Yogi Berra. I didn't think it was getting this late early where he would suspend his campaign and announce that he was dropping out. What do you make of the former VP uh, being out of time here or being at the end of the road, as Boys to Men just elo eloquently put it there? So here's how this works. Who exactly was the target voter? You know, you run against your predecessor, which Al Gore tried to do, tried to distance himself from Bill Clinton, lost votes for doing so. So obviously you're not trying to win over the MAGA folks, the sizable number of people that you're distancing yourself from, fine. Well, the people that you tried to win over, moderates or Republicans who aren't crazy, also don't like you because when you were vice president, you didn't really distance yourself from the president. Mike Pence seems like a capable, sound, intellectual person. Clearly, the person who worked above him was not. And at no point, similar to you know that doctor who sat in the back when Trump was talking about ingesting chlor you know, chlorine or whatever to get rid of cor you know, coronavirus, this fool sat there and said nothing. Mike, there have been 19 vice presidents who've tried to run for office. Of them, there's a lot of names on that list. I, even as a history buff myself, can't tell you. But since 1960, Mike Pence is far and away the worst person to run for the White House as a vice principal, vice vice principal. He may as well have been from the HBO show. This is, an this is a list that includes Dan Quayle, who famously decided to go after a TV character who had a baby by herself. Al Gore, who foolishly walked away from a successful Bill Clinton administration to try to carve out his own name. And Richard Milhouse Nixon, who orchestrated a crime in order to win the White House. Now, was he the only president to do so? You know, present company accepted. Who knows? Absolute bozo. Cannot cannot be happy enough he's left. He's an embarrassment. You have someone in the former president and people on January 6th calling for your head. You barely can come forward and say anything about that. Took you months to finally admit that maybe, maybe your former boss probably didn't like you very much. Similar to Ted Cruz and any other Republican that who doesn't have the guts to stand up to Trump, either physically or even on a debate stage, Get off it. Goodbye. Well, um, I want to leave it there, but geez, you left a lot open there. Uh, the f Nick Saveri uh, giving his thoughts there on the former vice president. We thank him for that, I guess. Uh, I'll be a little bit less harsh. Um, Mike Pence did the right thing, as we all know, on January 6th. And I am in agreement with you throughout his campaign messaging. He just couldn't find this, this footing that he was trying to uh, stand on in terms of calling out the MAGA base while also appealing to those voters and his message wasn't translating. We saw in that Tucker Carlson uh, roundtable interview that they were doing in, in Iowa with all of the candidates. People were booing him there back in Iowa. And you can see based on the polling why he's decided to drop out. So we say farewell to the former vice president. Uh, get him next time is, is the slogan here. All right. Speaking of next time, we'll see you in our next episode. As always, if you want to check out the video portions of any of the interviews we've done on this show, head over to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. We should pop right up. Audio podcast platforms, you know by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody listens to us on Good Pods. Download the YouTube Music app. We are live over on the YouTube Music app. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. Can't do without them. 
Can't do it out each and every one of you that listens to this program. As always, I'm Mike Leon. A far better man than Mike Pence. I'm Nick Saveri. See you all later. That stays in. We'll see everybody next time. Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.